you pray with me? Uh, Triune God, you are a way maker. Uh, You make a way when there is uh, no way. Uh, Lord, you're a miracle worker. You uh, miraculously move in the hearts and lives of your people. You bring spiritually dead people back to life. And we give you thanks this morning. You are a promise keeper, Lord. You are faithful uh, to your promises. And we give uh, you thanks. Uh, Church family, I want to invite you, if you would, uh, to take a moment and you pray for you. Uh, You know you better than I know you, and so pray and ask God uh, by his spirit to work in your heart and in your life this morning. If you would be so kind, would you uh, take a moment and pray for me that uh, God would use uh, his word and these words to be helpful and life-changing, life-altering in your heart and in your life this morning. Pray that God would give me uh, strength and courage and wisdom and clarity. God, we give you thanks this morning for hearing our prayers. Thank you that you invite your children to come before you, uh, that you give us a seat at the table. Lord, you allow us to to bend your ear. Uh, You hear and answer prayers, and so we give you thanks. We pray that you might do that this morning uh, for your name's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Our text this morning is from the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, and so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me there, uh, John uh, chapter 11. Uh, You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning. You can also uh, look up on the YouVersion app and uh, go under events, look for Christ Point Church, and you can uh, follow along there as well. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 1 reads, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Martha who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, 
but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. At this time, I would like to dismiss our kids, kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, to CP Kids. Kids, we're praying for you this morning uh, that God would do a good work in your hearts and in your lives and drawing each and every one of you uh, to him. I'm praying for our leaders as well as they pour into the lives of our kids. Parents, make sure you pick them up at the end of the service. This morning, I want to invite you to use your creative imaginations and pretend that John, the writer of the Gospel of John, is a street painter. I know, I know. It sounds a bit strange, uh, but work with me for a minute. If you could, I want you to picture John in front of a blank canvas. Uh, He has numerous cans of spray paint on the ground, Uh, Perhaps he's playing some music in the background. And slowly but surely, there is a crowd that begins to gather around him. Uh, John takes a step back and looks at the blank canvas and reaches down and picks up uh, one of the cans of spray paint. He He gives it a shake and he walks over to the blank canvas and he makes his first mark. And then another, and then another. And then another. Uh, Quite honestly, if you were to look at it, you would have no idea uh, what he is painting. You wouldn't be able to see the picture that he is making. Initially, it would look like a young child got a hold of a few cans of spray paint and they're doing their thing on the blank canvas. But the closer you look, uh, the more you realize that John has a purpose. He has a plan in what he is doing. You look closely and you notice the eyes and the nose and the mouth and the ears. You see the the hair that John is painting with a can of paint. As you look closely, you notice there is a crown on the man As you see the crown, you notice that John stoops down and picks up a a red can of paint and begins uh, to to paint a drop of blood coming from uh, the crown of thorns on the forehead of Jesus. Uh, John is is painting a portrait of Jesus uh, for all to see. Uh, In the Gospel of John... Uh, we see John painting a portrait of Jesus. In John chapter 1, John, the gospel writer, announces Jesus' arrival onto the scene. He uses seven 
terms for Jesus in in John chapter 1. He refers to Jesus as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, a rabbi. Uh, He is painting a picture uh, for the reader to come to grips, to come to terms with the person of Jesus. He introduces John the Baptist, a man uh, who lived his life to point other people to Jesus. Beginning in John chapter 2, John begins to describe the miracles that take place. He uh, calls them signs and wonders. Now, they're signs and wonders because they point to the person and the work of Jesus. It is as if John uh, takes us on a view from 30,000 feet uh, for us to see, for the reader to see, who is Jesus? And then when we get to John chapter 11 and into verse 12, it is almost as if the story slows down. The first 10 chapters, there's one miracle after another. But in John chapter 11, uh, there is recorded a miracle of all miracles. And the story slows down. And the life of Jesus, at least the end of his life, Uh, begins to slow down before our very eyes. And really the rest of the Gospel of John is going to paint a picture of Jesus' last days here on earth. But before we get to his last days, we are confronted uh, with a miracle that will blow us away. In John chapter 11 the gospel writer is going to uh, talk to us, the reader, about the deep love that Jesus has for Lazarus and for Martha and for Mary. But that love that John is going to talk about is going to display itself in the most unusual way, at least initially. And so I want us to think together this morning about the deep love that God has for his children. And I want us to consider two ways that God, through Jesus, demonstrates his love to you and to me. So if you have your Bibles, look with me again at John uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Scripture reads, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved him. Not only did Jesus love Lazarus, but the text tells us that Jesus loved Martha and Mary. As a matter of fact, the text goes out of its way uh, to make this clear to us. You don't have to have a a seminary degree or understand Greek uh, to see that Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus is not some stranger in the crowd. Lazarus is not an unfamiliar face. He's not an acquaintance that Jesus met uh, down the dusty roads in Jerusalem. It's not as if Jesus years ago was introduced to Lazarus by mutual friends. 
No, instead the text tells us that, that Jesus loved Lazarus. He knew Lazarus and he loved him. And so the sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. If you were to skip ahead just a verse in verse 5, it reads, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus loves these people. They're not strangers. They are well known to him text tells us in verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. That's an interesting little fact because that story, according to John, hasn't even happened yet. Like we're going to read about that in another chapter or two. But again, the text wants to remind us that Jesus loved these people and these people apparently Uh, loved Jesus. That is important because while Jesus of Nazareth loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, uh, his response to Lazarus, to Martha and Mary, is not what you would expect. At least it wasn't initially what I would expect. Like, full disclosure. If someone said, hey, James, Guess how Jesus is going to respond uh, when he finds out his boy is ill. Uh, I would not have guessed this. I wouldn't. Quite honestly, I thought the story would have played out a little differently than it did. I mean, imagine for a moment that you're a parent and your young child uh, falls off their bike, let's say, and skims their knee. Uh, There is a little trickle of blood as your crying child approaches you with their hands out, uh, their bottom lip is quivering. And that little boy or little girl looks into the eyes of their parents to tell them that they fell off their bike. They probably can't even muster uh, the words to speak in that moment to tell mom or dad what happened. Parents, you've been there before. You've heard the screams before. Like you, You know what's a legitimate scream, what's not a legitimate scream. You hear the scream and you're like, they'll be fine. And then there are other screams that you hear and you go, "Uh uh-oh, this is bad. If that child comes up to you and gives you one of those screams, as a parent, what do you do? As a mom, you put on your mom cape, right? You grab your little boy or your little girl, you scoop them up, you begin to clean them up, you console them. You, you, you begin to take your, your fingers, maybe, and brush it through their hair. You whisper to them, hey, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Like, like, as a parent, that is how we respond when our little boy or our little girl is ill or sick or when they get hurt. This is how Jesus responded when he caught wind that Lazarus was ill. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Does anyone find that a bit unusual? I do. Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill, and he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Um, I could be reading into this, but that was not expected. It wasn't expected. What, what would have been expected, and again, I'm just trying to imagine how this would play out, is that Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill, and he immediately went to Lazarus. I mean, the invitation is clear uh, for Jesus to do something. It's, it's sort of implied in the text. Your friend is ill, Jesus. The one you love is ill, Jesus. Lazarus is dying, Jesus. I mean, I read verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And quite honestly, I want verse 4 to start with and, but instead it begins with but. Do you notice that? I read it and I think it sure would be nice if it read, he heard that Lazarus was ill and Jesus immediately came to his rescue. Or he heard that Lazarus was ill and Jesus spoke a word and healed him from a distance. He had done it before. He can do it again. He heard that Lazarus was ill and Jesus breathed new life into him. He heard that Lazarus was ill. But. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This morning, when we consider the deep love that God has for his children, there are all kinds of, oftentimes, of expectations and assumptions that go along with how we want his love to be played out or demonstrated in the hearts and lives of those that Jesus loves. Oftentimes, we can think, well, let me just, I'll give you an out. Oftentimes, I think that I know what is best And I would like God to do it, preferably in that order. That's what I think when I I read this. That's what I think when I experience life in a fallen world or uh, when I come across or alongside others who experience life in a fallen world. I think I, I, I know how I want this to play out. I've got a good idea. And I'm just sort of praying that God decides to hop on board. Lazarus is loved and he is sick. Lazarus is loved. Oh, how Jesus loved him. 
And Jesus, he will heal him, but not initially in the way that we would expect. Now, we may read this story and hear this and think to ourselves, James, I don't have any issue with Jesus handling this situation the way that he did, because I know later in the story, Lazarus is raised. I know how the story ends. Please tell me, James, that you read all of chapter 11, right? I mean, you prepped for this message, right? You know how the story ends. I know how the story ends. We're going to get to the end next week. But, but here, Lazarus uh, still dies. Like he still dies in this story, initially. And death is death. Death is, is not pleasant. Death is painful. Death is gut-wrenching. Lazarus fought for his life with, with no knowledge or assumption that Jesus would call him into his office a handful of days later. Like Mary and Martha face the reality of the death of Lazarus without knowing, at least initially, how the story would play out. If you are God's son or daughter, God loves you with an unspeakable, an unexplainable, an unmatched love. Oh, how he loves you. And if we think that means that we know how life is going to play out, we may be disappointed. I mean, all bets are off. We, we cannot predict how God will move or act in our moment of pain. Oh, how God loves us. He loves his children. But that does not mean that God will do exactly what we want him to do when we want him to do it. It does not mean that he will do what we understand or what we desire or what we want. Jesus loved Lazarus and he stayed. So my question when I read that is how is that loving? How is it loving? How, how do we see the love of God demonstrated in the life of Lazarus? And how do we, as the people of God, as children of God, how do we see a, his love demonstrated even when life plays out in a way that we do not want it to go. Well, our text tells us there are, are two purposes uh, in our pain. There are two ways that Jesus is going to demonstrate his love for Lazarus and his love for us uh, in this text. Um, the first is found early in John chapter 11 when Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus apparently waited for Lazarus to die so that Christ would receive ultimate glory in resurrecting Lazarus. 
Uh, Lazarus died so that God would be seen as glorious. I mean, think about that for a second. Lazarus, whom Jesus loved, died so that the disciples, so that others, so that we would be able to see the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. We beheld his glory, glory as the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. God wants us to see that he is glorious. God wants us as his children uh, to see that he is great. He wants us to know that Jesus is better than life. Now, when we talk about God's glory, I understand that that idea or that concept can be difficult to describe or to understand or to define. Sometimes defining God's glory can feel like defining beauty. If I were to ask you this morning, define beauty for our church family. If you're anything like me, you you might struggle a little bit to find the words to string together uh, to describe or define what beauty is like. In the same way, when we talk about God's glory, it can feel the same. I mean, to, to get a Webster's Dictionary definition is, is tough. So what are we talking about when we talk about God's glory? Because we see it all throughout the pages of Scripture. We see God's glory, for instance, in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, where we're, we're told that God's creation, that the heavens declare the glory of God. There's something about the world around us that God creates, and we are to look at his creation and go, God is spectacular. Like, bravo, Lord. That is amazing. There's something about the sky and the stars. There's something about the the land and the sea, the mountains that God created, that we are to look out at his creation and go, God, you are, are great. We are to be blown away by God's glory, by his greatness. So what is God's glory? I love how one pastor defined God's glory when he said this. God's glory is God going public with his holiness. I love that. God's glory is God going public uh, with his holiness. He said, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Let me say that again. The glory of God is the infinite beauty of God's greatness uh, or, or and greatness of God's manifold Perfections. The Bible says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. God is holy. In other words, he is in a class by himself. He is one of a kind. He is unspeakably beautiful and majestic. To see God in his glory is to receive and experience life. God is loving Lazarus. Mary and Martha, by allowing them to see that he is glorious. He is allowing them and will allow them to see his greatness, his worth, and his beauty, his manifold perfections. Now, sometimes sometimes when we hear that, or perhaps when the world hears that, they do not see that is a good trade. They don't see it as a good trade. 
They don't see how God could demonstrate his love uh, through the loss of a loved one by showing others uh, that he is glorious and beautiful. I mean, like, think about it. I mean, there's times where that may not seem like a good trade. You may think that it's much better to live than to see God's glory. You may think to yourself, you know what's good? Breath. That's what's good. That's what I want. I want I want life. I want this life. I want to live a good life. I want to experience success. I want to have great relationships and a great family or a great marriage and and great kids. I want to have a great job and live in a great neighborhood and drive a great car. I want things to go great. I want things to go great. So if you're telling me, on one hand, there's the greatness of here and now and all this life has to afford, or me seeing and perceiving the greatness or beauty or glory of God, many people would go, give me the good life. (laughs) But what Jesus is teaching us is that seeing his glory, seeing his beauty and his majesty, receiving Jesus is better than anything this life affords. Jesus later in this text will say, I, me, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the Bible makes these bold claims to us that to have Jesus uh, is to have life. Uh, To have Jesus and nothing else is better than anything this life affords. The Bible makes these bold claims, for instance, like it does in Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Like when you think about your life, your short life on this earth, like do you ever find yourself thinking to yourself, you know what I want? Like I want that. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to experience fullness of joy. Oh, we experience it in part. I mean, God is kind to his kids. Like we, we experience an appetizer of joy. But we have only tasted an appetizer. We have only tasted and partook in, in, in something small of something that is much larger to come. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so Jesus is teaching Lazarus and will teach Mary and Martha and his disciples and you and me that he loves us. And he loves us so much that he is willing to give us the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And the greatest gift that we could ever receive is not the good life here and now. The greatest gift that we could ever receive is the gift of Jesus. So so don't Don't miss the love of God seen in these verses because Jesus wants us uh, to see it. 
The story continues. Verse 7, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Seems like a legitimate question. Hey, last time you were there, they tried to kill you. Are you sure you want to go back? I might have asked the same question. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is uh, both speaking in reality of 12 hours in a day, 12 hours of light, 12 hours of darkness, sort of painting a picture for his disciples. But he is also, as oftentimes he does, using a metaphor, demonstrate that how he is the light. He's done this in the Gospel of John. And then he continues in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Which again, shows that they're not necessarily firing on all cylinders. Very likely, I don't know about you, I probably would have done the same. Now, verse 13, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Now Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I said this text shouts of the love of God. And I said that it is seen or demonstrated in two clear ways in the text. First, Uh, through the invitation to see the glory of God, to see the glory of Jesus. Our second reason we find here in verses 14 and 15, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Isn't that interesting? I mean, the the counterpart, The counterpart to the revelation of God's glory is believing. Jesus tells his disciples, Lazarus died, kind of glad that I wasn't there because I want you to believe. Which begs the question, believe in what? What does he want them to believe? He wants them to believe that he is who he claimed to be. He wants them to believe that he is glorious. He wants them to believe that Jesus is all satisfying, that he is better than life. He wants them to believe that Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, that we beheld his glory, glory as the only father of the son, full of grace and truth. We are told that Jesus did not immediately go when Lazarus was sick because Jesus wanted his disciples to believe. I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Um, Not to beat a dead horse, uh, but this is why the book of John was written. 
This is why John wrote his gospel. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus uh, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus loved Lazarus, and he did not immediately come to his side when he was sick, in part because he wanted to to reveal his glory, and in part because he wanted to grow and develop faith in the hearts and the lives of his disciples. That is mind-boggling. I mean, it's crazy to think about that. Christian, you, you are loved by God with an unspeakable, unexplainable, and unmatched love. God loves you so much that sometimes your life will look very surprising and unexpected. And God is doing this in you because he wants you to see his glory. He wants you to see his beauty. He wants you to know that to have Jesus and nothing else is to have everything. Christian, you are loved by God. And there will be times in life when uh, this love is lived out in such a way that God will grow faith in you in the most unexpected and even at times unwanted ways. Because God loves you and he wants to grow faith in you. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, you are not a believer, you wouldn't call yourself one, you're exploring, you're asking questions, you have doubts, regardless of where you find yourself on that spectrum, I want you to know I'm so glad uh, that you are here today. It is my hope in prayer that God would grant you eyes to see the glory of Jesus The same Jesus who came and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death and was buried and raised to life again. The same Jesus who who raised Lazarus and the same Jesus who, by faith, one day will raise you, invites you uh, to, by faith, uh, trust in him. Uh, If you have not done that, it is my hope and prayer uh, that you would do it this morning. Uh, Church family, would you pray with me? Uh, Christ, when I wonder in uh, the the quietness of this moment, as you uh, think about uh, the very word of God to you this morning, I wonder if if the Spirit is not working in in your heart. Uh, Is is there something that God is is calling you to do or to think or to feel uh, based on Uh, the passage this morning. Just spend a moment uh, right now and pray that God's Spirit would speak to you. God, we give you thanks for uh, the deep love that you have shown to us by uh, showing us and revealing your glory to us. Lord, we, we believe that Jesus is better than life. When we, when we don't believe, Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith to believe. Help us just not to know that in our minds, but to experience it, to feel it in our hearts. 
God, I pray by the power of your spirit that your love uh, for us, uh, seen in the life and the work of Jesus, I pray that that would wash over us this morning. God, I pray that you would grow faith in us. We confess that our faith is so fickle. It seems like there are times when it, when it comes and goes, when it flaps in the wind. Lord, would you steady our hearts? Would you give us faith? God, if anyone is here this morning or if they're watching at home and they don't have a relationship with you, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would open their eyes and grant to them life. I pray that they would see uh, the all-surpassing beauty of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we'll give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.